The Torah content from now through Pesach has been sponsored by the Kofsky family in loving memory of Adira, who loved big ideas and asking big questions. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Stoic Jew Podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. Today's reading is from Seneca's letter number six on friendship and the sharing of knowledge. And I actually was going to do an episode about this earlier in the year, I think in December, when I was feeling at the low point of my pandemic uh, quarantine, when I was not (laughs) interacting in person with any friends. uh, And I was thinking a lot about friendship at the time. And then uh, I and then uh, I didn't record this for some reason. And then lately, I've been thinking a lot now that we're getting towards the end of the year, I've been thinking a lot about teaching uh, about, you know, reflecting back on my year of teaching. I've also been thinking about how as things have opened up and as life has returned to normal, how I have gotten to spend much more time with my friends. And I've been thinking about the relationship between the two. And that's what this letter deals with. I think we're going to do this letter over two days because uh, I, I don't I, I don't want to rush it today. So um, just a little bit of background. When we talk about Seneca's letters, Seneca did write other like essays and speeches and and other Stoic writings. But but most of them were lost. And really the main surviving letters that we have, oh, sorry, the main surviving Stoic writings that we have from Seneca are his 124 letters to Lucilius, uh, and uh, who was a, a friend of his. I believe it was a, a, I don't think it was contemporary. I think, I mean, just from the letters, it sounds like he was more of a student, uh, but I don't really know what the, uh, what the, I don't know how they met. I don't really know what the, uh, you know, if he like taught him in, uh, in an official capacity or not, but, uh, that those are his letters. So that's why he's always writing to Lucilius. And, um, uh, that's what, you know, that's how the letters begin. And it's unclear whether these were, to what extent these were actual, uh, letters that just happened to be published later on, or whether they were, uh, what this, uh, this, uh, this translator calls, uh, essays in disguise, meaning that they were, uh, edited later on, you know, written with the intention of, of publication at some point, kind of like the Rambam and the Mornevuchim. So, um, so that's the background. Okay. So let's start reading and we're not going to read the whole letter. We're going to read a paragraph at a time and then comment on it. So Seneca writes, I see in myself, Lucilius, not just an improvement, but a transformation. Although I would not venture as yet to assure you or even to hope that there is nothing left in me needing to be changed. Naturally, there are a lot of things about me requiring to be built up or fined down or eliminated. Even this, the fact that it perceives the failings that it was unaware of in itself before is evidence of a change for the better in one's character. In the case of some sick people, it is a matter for congratulation when they come to realize for themselves that they are sick. Okay, let's pause there for one second. So, um... This actually relates to something that I'm going over with the guys in Hilchos Deos in my Ramam Bakiyoshir in the Laws of Character Traits, where the Ramam uh, at the beginning of the second chapter writes, um, Actually, I'm just going to read this in English. Uh, I'll just translate it as I go. Those who are sick taste the bitter as sweet and the sweet as bitter. And there are some people who are sick who desire and crave foods that are not fit for consumption, like dirt and coal. Uh, and they hate good foods like bread and meat, all according to the degree of their illness. So too are people whose souls are sick. They desire and love bad character traits, and they hate the good path, and they are lazy in following it, and it weighs upon them heavily, all in accordance with their illness. Uh, Thus, Yeshayahu, Isaiah, said about these people, Woe unto those who say, about the evil that it is good and about the good that it is evil. They make darkness light and they make light darkness. They they make 
the bitter sweet and the sweet bitter. And regarding them, it is stated in Mishlei 2.13, Proverbs, those who abandon the ways of uprightness to walk in the paths of darkness. So that's the people who, those are the people who are attached to bad character traits to the point where it warps their view of, of what is good and bad. Okay. Uh, then the Ramam goes on and he says, uh, what is the, um, the the correction, the method of correcting people who have these uh, illnesses of souls, uh, which really we would, I mean, I, I don't like to use the term, although the closest term we have here is mental illnesses. Uh, I, I think mental illness has too much of a clinical connotation here, uh, whereas the Ramam is really talking about uh, about in ethics, but whatever you want to call it. Uh, so what is the way to correct these things? They should go to the sages. Uh, sorry, they should go to the wise men who are healers of the souls, and they will, he they will heal their illness in their character traits. Sorry, they will heal their illness with the character traits that they teach them uh, until they return to the good path. Now, this is the part that I wanted to get to. Those who recognize their bad character traits, the Enam Holkim and they don't go to the sages to heal them. Alehim Amar Shlomo, regarding them, uh, Solomon said, Umusr Evilim Bazu, that fools despise discipline. Okay, so the Ram here is talking about two categories of people. So two people can you can have two people who both have illnesses of the soul that they are attached to bad character traits that cause them to do bad actions and their view of the good is distorted. However, they're the ones who who uh, who recognize them, and they go. Actually, it's really three categories. There, there are those who recognize the illnesses of the soul, and they go to the sages. They go to the wise men to be healed. Then there are the ones who recognize it, and they don't go to the wise men to be healed. And those are the people who despise discipline. But then there's a stage that the Ram is not even mentioning, where uh, I guess the person prior to reading this Rambam is that the people who have these character traits and they don't even recognize them. You know, that in some ways is the worst of all because you don't even know you're sick. And so I, I think this is a obviously no one wants to realize that they're sick, you know, but uh, I think Seneca's first paragraph here is just a good reminder that there is a pain and sometimes other feelings as well, a shame, you know, uh, sometimes a guilt when you realize that you have a certain flaw or moral deficiency or distorted way of thinking or or bad character trait or whatever it might be. There's a, a, it hurts. It, it, it's it's painful. It's like hard to face yourself with that. But realizing that you have it is a sign. That's a cause for congratulations. <laughs> you know, when you come to realize that you're sick and that, okay, so these are my problems. You know, these are the things I have to work on. And now I'm one step closer to, to, to the cure, to curing them or to making progress than I was before I knew them. So I, I again, that's, I think that's a, a somewhat of an obvious point, but uh, it bears a, uh, repetition in order so that it will so that you can have it in mind when you do realize that you're ill <laughs> uh it's it's uh it's, it is uh pro it does provide some comfort okay so then he says like this uh he goes on and he says i should very much like then to share this also sudden metamorphosis of mine with you doing so would make me start to feel a surer faith in the friendship that exists between us that true friendship which neither 
hope nor fear nor concern for personal advantage ever sunders, that friendship in which and for which people are ready to die. I can give you plenty of examples of people who have not been lacking a friend, but friendship, something that can never happen when mutual inclination draws two personalities together in fellowship of desire for all that is honorable. Why can it not happen? Because they know that everything, and especially their setbacks, is shared between them. So this is um, uh, this is obviously about what a Seneca views as a good friendship. And, you know, I was looking at past episodes. I could have sworn that I went over the Rambam's categories of friendship in some episode, but I, I can't find it in my notes on the episode. So either this will be a repetition or this will be a... Uh, uh, you know, and review, or this will be new. But I want to actually like read the entire commentary of the Raman where he talks about friendship because it really, really helps us to put Seneca's words into categories that are, uh, you know, that are are much uh, more clearly defined than Seneca said. So this is a commentary on on uh, Pirkei Avos one uh, five. Yeshua ben Parachia and Nitai of Arbel received the tradition from them. Okay, fine. Yeshua ben Parachia says, make a teacher for yourself. So let's say Rav, acquire a friend for yourself. Uh, and judge every person favorably. So we're only focusing on the acquire a friend for yourself. And I'm going to read the Ramam in English here. Uh, this is the Ramam's commentary on that Mishnah. Acquire a friend for yourself. The Mishnah uses the expression acquire rather than make a friend for yourself or befriend others. The meaning is as follows. No matter what, a person should always acquire a friend for himself who will help him improve in all areas. As it is said, either friendship or death. That's Ihabrusa uh, Imisusa, which is interesting that Seneca says. Seneca says that this is a friendship that um, that uh, people, uh, are ready to die for, you know, now I don't know what he means in the, I don't know if he meant like in terms of literally you're willing to give up your life for your friend, but the Ram, when he, uh, quotes Chazal does not mean that like you are willing to give up your life for your friend, but what it means is that, that really life without this kind of friendship is not worth living, <laughs> you know, uh, that, uh, and it's being stated, uh, I mean, you could decide for yourself whether, how much it's being stated in a hyperbolic manner. Okay. Ramu goes on, if he does not find a friend, he must exert himself to do so, even if he must buy the, buy the friendship initially, meaning like with money, until the person becomes his friend. One should not cease accommodating oneself to the other person's nature until such a friendship has been established. As the men of Musar say, do not establish friendship according to your nature, establish friendship according to your friend's nature. So that's talking about the efforts you should go to through to, to cultivate this type of friendship. Uh, when each of the friends conducts himself according to this directive, then the desire of each one will be to fulfill the will of his colleague. Thus, they will both share the com a common goal. How appropriate is the statement of Aristotle, a friend is another self. Okay, kind of uh, unclear how to translate that. All right, this is the part I wanted to get to. There are three types of friendship. Friendship of function or utility, friendship of pleasure, and friendship for the sake of a higher purpose. Examples of friendships of function or utility include a business partnership or the relationship between the general and his army. So this is where the friendship exists solely in order to provide a practical benefit. And the example I like to give of this uh, is, is, uh, for the longest time here, I had, uh, my barber, Sal, uh, and Sal would cut my hair, you know, whenever I needed a haircut for over 10 years. And when we, when I got a haircut, we would chat and talk about life and talk about things, you know, uh, but that was the extent of our, of our friendship. You know, it was only in the context of I'm sitting in his barber chair, I'm paying him money, he's cutting my hair and, uh, and we get along, you know? Um, and, uh, and, you know, uh, I think a lot of, uh, you know, there are a lot of work friendships that are like this, that they, they, uh, that they exist because of the particular utility that you get from them. So that's the lowest level of friendship. Um, okay. 
there are two types of friendship of pleasure, a friendship of enjoyment and a friendship of security. An example of a friendship, uh, a friend of enjoyment is the relationship between men and women in marriage and the like. All right. Now, I don't think he means all marriages. I think he means like the average marriage where you you are in a relationship or I mean, whatever, not just a marriage, but a romantic relationship uh, because you get enjoyment out of the other person. I think that's why most people are in relationships, whether it is of a psychological nature, romantic, whatever it is. And I think most friendships that we have, like what we call friendships, uh, like, you know, uh, you know, just when you say friend are of this nature, meaning you enjoy their company, you enjoy the same things, you know, being around them makes you happy. Uh, but it's, it's dependent on the enjoyment, you know, and if the enjoyment weren't there, uh, then you, then the friendship wouldn't be there anymore. And if you've ever had friends that you were good friends with, and then like either, you know, they move and you're no longer hanging out with them. And then you find that the friendship dissolves or their personality changes or your personality changes or their interests change or your interests changes, and you can no longer get that enjoyment. So then that is a friendship of, of, it shows that it was a friendship of enjoyment. So that's most friendships. Okay. But then he says a friendship of security, which is uh, the sub, uh, the second level of a friendship of pleasure is when a person has a friend on whom he can rely without withholding anything from him, neither deed nor word. He reveals to him all his matters, both good and bad, without worrying that he will shame him, either in private or in public. When a person is able to trust a friend to this extent, he will derive tremendous satisfaction from his conversation and his company. So that is a much rarer type of friendship where you feel completely comfortable telling that friend everything and discussing all of your life's problems. And you don't worry at all that they're going to shame you or look down on you or, or make you feel bad for, for divulging uh, everything. And you also feel comfortable sharing the good with them, you know, and, and you don't have to worry about like petty sorts of like jealousy or, or anything like that. You can just, you can be yourself around, um, your, your friend, uh, who's like that. Um, you know, there's a, I think it's an Emerson quote. I'm not gonna look it up right now that uh, a friend is someone with whom I can think aloud uh, and uh, and meaning not holding back any of your thoughts. So that is still a friendship of pleasure, but it is a much, much higher level. And that's something that Seneca alludes to when he says that you, uh, you, know, you can have a friend like this and not hold back anything, uh, even setbacks. Uh, he says because they know that everything, especially their setbacks, is shared between them. Now, the last level, the highest level, a friendship for the sake of a higher purpose refers to a situation where both individuals des desire and focus on a single objective, the good. Each will desire to be assisted by his colleague to attain the good for them mm -hmm. both. This is the type of friendship that the Mishnah commanded us to acquire. For example, the relationship between a Rav and his Talmud, a rabbi and his student, and uh, between a student and his Rav. So that is where not only, I mean, presumably you will at least in a one directional way, you'll have to have uh, a high level of trust if you're really going to uh, be involved in working together in life to, um, to attain the good for both of you. But it really is a friendship based on a, a shared value system and you're both helping each other to attain the good. Now, this is the highest level of marriage also of like an Azer Konegdo when you really are helping each other to pursue the good for both of you. Um, uh, even though, even though you are, you, you know, you are different and you have different roles and same thing with the Talmud and a Rav and a Rav and a Talmud is they're not they're they're not uh, equal in terms of their roles, but they are both helping each other in within their roles to attain the good for both of them. And that's really you could tell from Seneca's letters. That's the type of friendship that he has with Lucilius. Is that he? They're both. I mean, we don't really see Lucilius's responses, but we see Seneca sharing in that 
common value system and helping Lucilius to attain the good and sharing with him all of his setbacks. And that's the highest level of friendship. So uh, there's clearly more to be talked about here, but I am glad that I got a chance to read all of the Rambam and uh, we will continue tomorrow. That is it for today's episode. If you've gained from what you've learned here today and would like to support my production of even more Torah content, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi The link is in the description. Thank you to my listeners for listening and thank you to my patrons for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.